Teamsters, I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersectionality. Or not. And I, before we were recording, we were like, oh, we need to press record because we were talking about like being witty. When you're texting somebody and like you have like a really good like back and forth you're like yeah. ready to respond you're about to say something with the word fuck in it and then you accidentally end up saying Same duck, duck. And it just ruins your whole joke. Or when you're texting your editor and his cute girlfriend and you say, you better be proposing and you say, purposing. And then I said, uh, you cute fucking angels, but actually said angles. So hashtag purposing angles. Purposing angles. My delivery, the delivery was off a little bit. My dad says that all the time. Like when we were kids, we would be like throwing a tantrum. He'd be like, you're delivery's off a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to that. I feel like I don't come up with a good comeback until about a minute and a half after I've sent the text message. And then I think of an entire list of things things I could have said. Absolutely. No, I think I perform well in text. I do not. It's for a very specific audience. It's for, (laughs) have you known me for 10 years? Do you understand my inside jokes? Do Have you seen every, every movie that's ever existed? Especially uh, Fried Green Tomatoes. Exactly. But I... And I, the L word. You and the L, the L word a lot. So much. Yeah. So, We've so got so our much. whole little chart going in Greensboro. Oh, like the chart? The chart. Oh, God. No. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you know, people are really into making that. I know I have been to so many queer parties where they're like, hey, let's no, make a chart. No. And I have dated several people who showed up on the chart in multiple places, oh. which uh, I, feel I don't like know what that says about me. Progressed. So for those who have not seen the L word, first of all, go watch it. Second of all, watch it with the understanding that it is problematic in certain areas. And it came out so long ago. Um, yeah. And we understand the queer community so much better now. Yep. Hopefully. <laughs> but it's all we have. <laughs> it was our introduction to queer culture. But basically, Alice Piazeki, who was Alice Peterson in the first yep. like three episodes. Yep. And then becomes Alice Piazeki. BT dubs. So she creates a chart where you... You, you have your name and then it spirals off with all of your sexual partners and then all of their sexual partners and it's like a, you know, five degrees of separation or three degrees or however yep. many fucking degrees yep. thing and um, yeah, and I do we're, want we that. don't want to feel very Shane in that way. No. <laughs> so if you've way. been getting that reference, then you have definitely seen the L word. If not, go watch it and then let us know if you're feeling very Shane today. Exactly. (laughs) Unrelated to all of that, we are here to talk about some psychology and history topics. Is that what we're doing? That's our whole entire job. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Let's talk about some psychology. I'm excited. What do you... um what do you have for us this week? Well, uh, you know, I love me a good musical, um, which I think we've talked about in every single episode at this point. Most Musicals? I love they musicals. Keep... I also think Hell is a musical. Oh, that would be a phenomenal time. musical. This specific musical, I have rewritten some of the lyrics 
to a particular song. Oh my god. Um, Are you going to sing it? No, God, no. It's tale as old as time, true as it is creepy. <laughs> Let's talk about Stockholm Syndrome. Yay! Are you talking about... Beauty uh, and the Beast. Bell and, Bell and the Buffalo. Bell and the Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I call it. Yeah. That real, uh, that version with Hermione in it was fucking, I mean, <laughs> literally, look, the guy looks like a buffalo. He does. And we will probably be referring to this as Bell and the Buffalo for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, um, Bell and the Buffalo. But I had to let you have your moment to oh, say thank that because I wrote Bell and the Buffalo at least three times and had to take <laughs> it out because I was like, Allie wants her glory. I I say it all the time. You deserve it. I don't know how I make it work in every conversation. <laughs> okay. So obviously, Bell and the Buffalo is a highly simplified way of thinking about Stockholm Syndrome. But mm-hmm. Stockholm Syndrome is a type of trauma bond which happens most frequently when hostages bond with their captors. Oh, so it's so crazy. It's so weird. It's so weird. But we're going to talk about all of it because but it's like, so interesting. Authority, I get it. Like, okay, I'm going to stop rationalizing. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to rationalize so much of it um, okay. and talk about the origins and which is a really fascinating story that i didn't know prior to this okay i'm just gonna go ahead and lay it all out there it was not inspired by beauty and the beast okay so right it's very before very much before it's not though oh it's not no oh but i'm sure it's been happening for ages oh yeah yeah the earliest documented um example i could find was like 1930s yeah Um, like people are still like Think about arranged marriage. Think about child marriage, everybody. Oh, yeah. The phenomenon has been around forever. But identifying it as Stockholm Syndrome and giving it a title under the larger umbrella of trauma bonding Uh is very specific. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. I'm on board. Um, So sometimes we think about Stockholm Syndrome in terms of abuse, but most commonly it is captives and captors. It can, however, be related to like sex trafficking, child abuse, domestic violence, all of the things that we hate and don't actually want to talk about in this episode. Right. We're specifically going to be talking about captives and captors. Okay. So it's believed that the bond is created when a captor threatens their captive's life and then chooses not to kill the captive Mm -hmm. so it's this moment of my life is in danger Mm -hmm. something he the i said he whoops um (laughs) (laughs) the uh captor does something kind and then they both see each other's humanity Mm -hmm. and then the captive remains alive so there has to be a threat of real danger that's interspersed with small kindnesses Mm. there's something sweet and almost kind oh no (laughs) no 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 and the belief is that there is no escape Uh uh-huh so we now understand. are you sprinkling in (laughs) throughout this whole thing i wish i was that clever pieces of it yes okay i another piece of beauty and the beast here is giving someone a library would certainly count as a small kindness and i will be accepting libraries from future suitors because that just sounds like a healthy opportunity for bonding to me (laughs) oh no um also we are not going to be assessing or diagnosing the beast um he definitely had some unhealthy attachment stuff maybe some ptsd from being turned into a beast after being an asshole to a little old lady Mm. the end that's Mm -hmm. 
that's essentially where our Beauty and the Beast references stop. Belle and the Buffalo. Belle and the Buffalo. But survival is at the heart of Stockholm Syndrome. So whether you've been held captive for a few days, I think Mm -hmm. the original case that inspired the term was only six days or years, like eight to 10 years or even more. It's about um, captivity and abuse. So being forced into dependence in horrific conditions yeah so what seems somewhat natural is that your brain would then start to interpret like small kindnesses as good treatment right and what you're doing is you're making a link between your captor's happiness and your own and it's a way of handling the trauma of a truly terrifying situation and ultimately is a coping mechanism yeah so if you've been held captive for you know a year and a lot of it's horrible, but there are a few moments where you actually see someone's kindness showing through. Mm-hmm. Of course, your brain is holding on to those moments right. and saying, this person isn't going to kill me and they can't be all bad. It To me, it feels like not a savior complex, but somebody like it's a life and death thing at that at that time. Mm-hmm. And you're associating good feelings with your captor. Right. Because you know that they have the ability to get you out of it? Right. Question mark? I don't know. Yeah, there might be something there that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> a victim will begin to sympathize with their captors and even begin to develop some positive feelings towards them. Sometimes they might go so far as to be able to perceive their captors' humanity and believe that they have the same goals or values. Another component of Stockholm Syndrome is that the captives developing negative feelings, or the captives might develop negative feelings towards police, authority figures, or anyone trying to help them escape. Hmm, okay. Yeah. I'm the only one that can help you. Right. Okay, so let's take a moment to recognize where the term Stockholm Syndrome comes from. Stockholm? That's your uh, Swedish accent. Oh, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. So, in 1973, a man robbed a bank in Stockholm, Sweden. Oh. (laughs) Um, He ended up holding four people hostage for about six days. Six days in a bank? Six days in a vault. Think about how gross that gets. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. There's only so many corners. It was not a castle. There was no library. Lots of money, though. Right. Our guy's name is... Jan Eric Olson. Yeah, darling. There's, it's interesting. So he initially went in and botched a bank robbery and ended up taking four people captive. Um, and then there were some hostage negotiators that were like, what do you want in exchange for you know freeing some of these hostages? Mm-hmm. And he was like, yo, I want my buddy from prison mm. to be released and to be able to come here. And the police did that. So mm. it ended up being two hostage or two captors and four (laughs) hostages. No, he's like, listen, I got a good deal for you, friend. Let me get you some additional time. (laughs) What year was this? I'm sorry. 1973. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. So once the hostages were released after those six days, they all refused to testify against their captors and went so far as to raise money for their defense. Whoa. One person stated that she, quote, trusted her captors but feared that she would die in police assault on the building. End quote. What's okay. so interesting about this is that we don't really know what happened over the course of those six days. Right. 
What we do know is that reducing these bank robbers to just being bad guys takes away the super complex lens that we need in order to understand why they would rob a bank. Like, what drives people to rob a bank? Um, I'm going to say money. Potent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Assuming that they didn't wake up one morning and just choose violence, we can wildly speculate about their experience up to that point in their lives, right? Yeah. Jan Olson, Jan Eric Olson, was a convict and he was on parole. In a later interview, he said, quote, the hostages did everything I told them to. If they hadn't, I might not be here now. Why didn't any of them attack me? They made it hard to kill. They made us go on living together day after day like goats in that filth there was nothing to do but get to know each other wow oh yeah hate hate it i i think it's fascinating and maybe it's just because i like the complexity of the human experience oh yeah well he would have had to have been very persuasive yeah and very like listen we're in this together well and there's also like there's a little bit of blame here like if they hadn't done this than this mm-hmm. but there's also just like narcissism he doesn't really understand he's why didn't any of them attack me right it was hard to kill them they well, made us go on living which is just a fascinating way to look at this versus someone who's truly narcissistic who's like well they wouldn't attack me because i'm so great mm. you know instead he was like mm-hmm they're the reason that we all survived. Hmm. So I think he developed a bond with them that was similar to the bond that they developed with him. Right. I mean, if you're shitting in front of each other, there's you're a bonded. Bond yeah. Yeah. So what we know about Olson is that he was a repeat offender who had committed several armed robberies and quote acts of violence beginning when he was 16. And and Sweden is such a crime-free country. Yeah. It's fast. It's crazy. Right? It is. So Olsen was sentenced to 10 years in prison after this bank robbery. After he got out, he went on to commit several other crimes. Ultimately, he went to turn himself in, and they were like, actually, we don't really care anymore. What? So he moved to Thailand, got married, and now is back in Sweden, living <gasps> with his wife. Whoa. And apparently oh, wait, doing wait, wait, wait. well. Back at that shit up. Yeah. So he committed all these crimes after the bank robbery and being in jail in prison for 10 years and then went back to like turn himself in and they turned him away. Yeah. Apparently whatever he did after that was not as big of a deal. I don't know. I did minimal research. That's insane. Yeah. It's really fascinating. It gets more interesting. Oh. Only a little bit, but still more interesting. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if their prison system is for profit like ours, because if not, it is then, not, as then far as that I know. would make sense that they would turn them yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I used to work with a young lady who um, was from Norway, and she mm-hmm. was explaining their prison system to me. Um, her dad was a attorney, I believe. And mm-hmm. do you remember the mass murder that happened in Norway? A long time ago, like 15 years ago, 10 years ago, something. In Norway, which is next door neighbors to Sweden, Mm -hmm. they don't have the death penalty or life in prison. Like Mm -hmm. the highest sentence you could get was like 25 years. So whenever this crazy crime happened, they had to not just try the crime, Mm -hmm. but look at what do we do for someone who killed all these people? Because they'd never experienced anything like that. Yeah. Which is just so different than our system. We need to talk about mass incarceration at some point. Yeah. Not now. So the criminologist on the case, his name is Niels... Patrick Harris. (laughs) 
Bayerot, sure. Yeah. And he coined the term Normalumstrong syndrome, uh, which is actually the name of the square in Sweden. So oh, okay. the within Stockholm. Yeah. Yeah, within Stockholm, this is the actual place. Okay. It later became Stockholm syndrome because no one else could pronounce the other word. <laughs> the word that you can pronounce. And also, um, Stockholm is just more notable for people outside of Sweden. Sure. Okay, so here's where it gets really interesting. Um, Olsen wrote an autobiography that was published in Sweden in 2009, and I am looking for a copy. And, oh. Because I bet it has all the information that I would love to have for this episode. So one day I'd be looking for a book report on Olsen. There's also a Swedish Netflix television series about this event coming out this year. Oh, perfect timing. Super excited. Okay, cool. Okay. So what we can assume is that it wasn't random and Olsen had probably experienced trauma prior to robbing a bank. Sure. So why do people need money? Of course, the the system in Sweden is very different than it is here. Mm-hmm. But once you start to see him as a complex individual who had experienced trauma, who maybe wasn't having all of his needs met, who maybe had some uh, undiagnosed mental health stuff going on, mm-hmm. it's easy to see what may have allowed his captives to see his humanity. Okay. At least that's my my theory. So let's talk about recognizing someone's humanity. Uh, I'm going to preface this a little bit with, in the work that I do, I feel like I see the best and the worst in people a lot of time, a lot of the time. Especially, I work with a lot of children who have been abused and a lot of families who have experienced multi-generational trauma. But there's something about seeing someone's humanity and recognizing all the things that lead them up to the point where you enter their lives. Sure. So the idea that there are good guys and bad guys is a really oversimplified way of thinking about humanity because humans are fucking complicated. Mm -hmm. So are buffaloes. (laughs) (laughs) Guy on a buffalo. (laughs) What's this in the weeds? It's a baby. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) No, you've never seen Guy on a buffalo? Oh my god, that's what we're doing right after this. I cannot wait. Okay, so the more I learn about brains and trauma, the more complicated humans become. Also, abuse, child abuse, sex trafficking, holding people captive is never acceptable. We just have to examine the systems that allowed things to happen. Mm -hmm. So I was in a class when I was getting my master's, um, and we were talking about interpersonal violence, domestic violence, Mm -hmm. and providing support to the survivors of domestic violence. Yeah. And one person in my class brought up, um, what about therapy for abusers or perpetrators or, you know, people who are inflicting harm on others? And it was never a thing I'd thought about. Like, my brain had always been so wired towards protecting survivors and, and punishing. helping survivors mm-hmm. heal and punishing, mm-hmm. you know, people who hurt yeah. other people. Right. But ultimately, that doesn't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And also, we know that our prison system is not built around helping people heal. It's built around corporal punishment. So I think that there's a lot to unpack there. But ultimately, I just really wanted to emphasize that Stockholm Syndrome is, yes, a coping skill. It's also, in some ways, a recognition of humanity, Mm -hmm. Um, Hmm. even if it is a highly problematic coping skill i'm thinking about all the situations in which you could find yourself identifying with that particular diagnosis yeah and like captors i think is the most like media maybe right focused option but 
I, I do think that people find themselves in situations where they're being dominated over by somebody else mm-hmm. and they're possibly could have been feelings in the beginning but like you know domestic violence as you talked about before right i really think it comes down to like you said trying to see the good in people or holding on to that good for the purpose of survival sure yes yeah yeah and i think that i don't know if you have any statistics on gender and this experience but I i think that probably goes back to like gender norms and and women feeling pressured for for love and 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 acceptance and and men generally having already been given that from a very young age too i'd be interested to kind of see how that relates that's a really interesting point i haven't done that research Mm -hmm. it's something that i would be interested in digging into more but i just don't know yeah yeah i just don't know however crazy honey (laughs) crazy i do have two other high profile cases that i'm going to share with you briefly of stockholm syndrome the first one is patty hurst who was kidnapped in 1974 so is that the year after same year Mm -hmm. as the stockholm bank robbery by the symbanese liberation army during her captivity she eventually like renounced her family she took on a new name joined the sla and robbing banks and did all of this horrendous stuff and then went she was charged for it mm-hmm. and she was the first person to use stockholm syndrome as a defense in her trial mm-hmm. it didn't work she was sentenced to 35 years in prison oh. and well i mean there's no need to belabor that too much i just think it's interesting yeah um another one is natasha kapich mm-hmm. who was kidnapped in 1998 uh. at the age of 10 years old she was held captive for more than eight years Shit. During that time, she was kept underground in a dark, insulated room. By her father? No, no. Um, a random kidnapper. Okay. Her kidnapper abused her, threatened to kill her, and then would occasionally show her some kindness. Mm-hmm. Once she escaped, her captor died by suicide, um, and she reportedly wept inconsolably. And, of course, there's not a ton of research on that. And I didn't read a whole lot about it, but it was notable given her long term. Yeah, she's so young. And those are like some really peak years for development and And attachment. Attachment. Yeah. 1000%. Yeah. So there's also some interesting thoughts about trauma bonding, attachment, and Stockholm syndrome. Mm -hmm. And again, like it's just so much to unpack there. Like it's so much longer than an hour long podcast episode. I mean, from, from, my perspective i think it would be easier for survival mode yeah to feel like you relate to a captor right. as opposed to feeling fear and well, imminent danger 100 percent of the time i yeah. think that's probably maybe the motivation from where it comes from is is the easiest way for you to get through your day yeah there's also this idea that if someone is trying to kill you if you share something about your life, it humanizes you to them. Sure. And that it makes it harder for them to kill you. That's why that's why people who have missing family members say the name constantly in their press releases. Right. Because they're hoping that the captor is is watching. And will it will humanize I mean it's it's hard to hate people once you have a connection with them. If you share anything in common with them. Yeah. Even if it's something as small as like the same 
place in your birth order? Are you the oldest of your siblings? Mm -hmm. Did you grow up in a country, small town, or did you grow up, you know, taking ballet classes? These are things that humanize you. Yeah. And when you share them with someone who's hurting you, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so vulnerable and there's I don't want to victim shame at all here. Like, there, there's nothing that you can do in this space. Like, nothing that you do is wrong. Right. Everything Thank is you. Yeah. how you, yes. It's yeah. All, yeah. But I think that the same is true too when you start to see small kindnesses from a captor and you start to understand them on a deeper level mm-hmm. or on any level and they're showing you even the smallest pieces of kindness, then you start to connect with them and it's a survival skill and hang on to those moments yeah yeah because you've got to you have yeah you have no other option it's really important to note that stockholm syndrome is not recognized in the dsm-5 so it is not an actual diagnosis um it has been argued in court before obviously Mm -hmm. um in the 1970s i believe but it is not recognized as a mental health issue Mm. I mean, other forms of trauma that Stockholm Syndrome might fall under are already recognized. Okay. So I don't know that, you know, necessarily splitting the hairs to come up with a very specific diagnosis of Stockholm Syndrome would be beneficial in any way because Mm -hmm. you're also looking at maybe PTSD or um, attachment issues. Mm -hmm. Like, those are all things under Stockholm Syndrome that are already in the DSM. Mm -hmm, Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yes. So let's talk about recovery. Oh, please. Yeah. Uh, We need some care after Mm -hmm. talking about the complexities of humanity. As stated earlier, Stockholm Syndrome at its root is a coping mechanism. So what do you need? You need therapy Mm -hmm. and counseling. And it's critical that it needs to be centered around developing healthy coping mechanisms. So a thing that I say a lot at work is a coping skill works for the person who's using it. If the coping skill didn't work, the person wouldn't use it. Sure. So you have to take a more suitable coping skill and replace it with a coping skill that's not working. Additionally, there has to be treatment for PTSD and maybe support around addressing anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. attachment stuff identity development even all those little pieces that come together to form the intricacies of stockholm syndrome (laughs) whatever you do please don't feel like you have to kiss the buffalo no (laughs) magic spells probably won't lift now if you do find yourself in a castle with talking furniture who am i to judge who you kiss that's true you got other shit to worry about yeah also the beast was never he never threatened imminent harm to Belle. he just kept her prisoner and then eventually let her go and Um, she he was very mean to her and he yelled at her and he is a buffalo so that's really scary <laughs> when you're not a buffalo thank you very much that's fair okay i also just, she he threatened to kill her father he did threaten to kill her father well he threatened to hold her father until he died right very different than killing him actively so it's more of like a torture situation or not just an imprisonment situation mm-hmm. hard to say how much torture was going to actually happen well i mean he gave Belle a really nice bedroom oh my god you are not defending the buffalo i'm sorry <laughs> i really love bt and the beast <laughs> Yeah, when you, I mean, any of the Disney movies are problematic in their own right. 
Sure. Especially when you go back to like their original stories. Let's not. We're going to cover Walt Disney at a later time. Oh, yeah. But I just wanted to bring us back to Belle and the Buffalo. And that's a safe place to end the narrative. Yeah, I think so, too. (laughs) Crazy. I mean, originally, like thinking about this topic, I thought about it way different than when I had to sit down and like make eye contact with you and discuss it because it's it's, it's an out of body experience and you often don't put yourself in the situation that the person who's being imprisoned is feeling yeah and ultimately understanding that at that point it's survival and your brain shuts down and does whatever it needs to do to survive so right absolutely and i think that we all not all a lot of people have developed unhealthy coping mechanisms and coping strategies for dealing with the complex nature of any relationship, especially unhealthy and toxic relationships. Right. And I don't want to compare a generally unhealthy or toxic relationship to something like Stockholm Syndrome and trauma bonding, but there are similar things that happen in the brain, right? Mm -hmm. The brain is a very crazy organ of the body. Yeah. Allison, what do you have for us today? Thank you so much for asking, Carrie. And I thought you'd never ask. I mean, we are halfway through the podcast, so it would be an appropriate time. It's an time appropriate for me to time. Ask. Yeah. All right, my friend. So today is an exciting day. Our episode topic this week was chosen by our fantastic patron, Lauren Mays. <gasps> Yay! Okay. So I'm going to be talking about conspiracy theories. I love it. Good suggestion, Lauren. Yes. It's like you know us. It's like she knows us. And I'm also going to come back to this topic because I realized how big it is. And I think I'm going to revisit it at at a later time because I felt like I wasn't fully able to dive in well i think netflix has a whole show like <gasps> series what called conspiracy theories oh my god I it's wonder. so good is it yeah okay, maybe so i'm good. talking about maybe that stuff will overlap i don't know that i want to watch it because i don't want to be uh, um it's swayed some of it are like each episode is a different conspiracy theory oh okay so some of it you probably don't have much of an interest in and well, watch those episodes because they're fascinating oh for sure but, so i'm gonna be talking about the history and kind of what is a conspiracy theory. Oh. And then I'll do some short dives into some... Are you breaking it down for I'm us? I'm breaking the shit down. Buckle up. My body's ready. <laughs> a conspiracy theory is defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary as a theory that explains an event or set of circumstances as the result of a secret plot by usually powerful conspirators. We just watched Bridgerton, so... <laughs> I love Bridgerton. <laughs> I also saw other sources that claim that conspiracy theories are associated or kind of put on by businesses or organizations, often political or yeah. otherwise. Yeah. However, I think it kind of spans larger than that. So I definitely agree with the first definition. Wikipedia says that, quote, a conspiracy theory is not simply a conspiracy. Instead, it refers to a hypothesized conspiracy with specific characteristics, such as an opinion to the mainstream consensus among those people, such as scientists, 
or historians who are qualified to evaluate its accuracy. So conspiracy theories tend to be a little paranoid, uh-huh. very opinionated, Yep. and the purpose is to discredit an opinion that is widely accepted, debunk it, and reveal the ultimate truth. I mean, I literally wrote that definition, so... <laughs> I wrote check, that definition. Check, check, double check. <laughs> this goes back to confirmation bias, which is according to dictionary.com, the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation for one's existing beliefs or theories. This sounds a lot like psychology, so I'm going to need you to yes, give girl, me this Yes, I am fact. taking over the psychology portion of this podcast <laughs> as of right now. So we're no longer a psychology and history podcast. We're a psychology and, and psychology. psychology podcast. <laughs> right. It's going to make intersectionality really Heard it here first, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think that's really... I think everybody does this shit all the time. They were literally building off our own beliefs in order to like understand situations and make them fit into the boxes that we've already right. established in our own brains. Yeah. Crazy. Conspiracy theories resist falsification and are reinforced by circular reasoning. Both evidence against the conspiracy and an absence of evidence for it are reinterpreted as evidence of its truth. Got it. So that's another way to say confirmation bias. It's just a circle. What you think goes back to like what's existing because that's how you rationalize it in your mind and then it goes around and, and then around. what's not existing, which goes to reinforce oh, the yeah. theory that you've created. Everything is reinforcing what you already believe. Right. Hence, you're confirming within yourself your biases. <laughs> Hence, the confirmation bias. <laughs> So conspiracy becomes kind of a matter of faith instead of something that can be proved or disproved. Research suggests that conspiracist ideation or the belief in conspiracy theories may be psychologically harmful or pathological. This can correlate with psychological projection and paranoia. Psychologists attribute to finding conspiracy where there is none to a mental phenomenon called illusory pattern perception. So my dad and I were just having a conversation a few weeks ago about what makes some people more susceptible to buying into conspiracy theories than other people. Because I love a good conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah. I mean, I It's like the tea. Right. Our podcast was originally going to be called Two for Tea. Which is why you're Teamsters, because you all (laughs) like the tea. Because you like the tea. Um, That's a little inside scoop on... Mm -hmm how we got to where we are today. But what I think is interesting is that you and I can like conspiracy theories all day long Mm -hmm. and look at them and never fully buy into them. Mm -hmm. However, I know plenty of people who, when presented with like the smallest shred of evidence or lack of evidence, immediately are like, oh, the earth is flat. Run with that shit. Right. And we will cross that bridge. I cannot wait. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's interesting to explore like why some people might be more prone to buying into conspiracy theories right. than other people. And it, I think it's just human nature because nobody wants to be wrong. Well, I think it, I think it is more deeply rooted than that. Ooh. And it goes back to your earliest relationships with people and <gasps> whether you had healthy, oh. secure 
like trusting relationships with people and youth. So it's whether to trust information that's displayed exactly. in front of you or not. Okay. Yeah, that's my honey. theory. There's literally no evidence to prove that. I just made that shit up a few weeks ago and have been working on it ever since. You're creating your own conspiracy theory. Yes. So historically, we've seen conspiracy theories in the form of witch hunts, mm-hmm. racism, prejudice, violence, and even genocide and terrorism and other unpleasant the conspiracy theory that blows my mind the most are the people who don't believe the Holocaust is real. Yeah. That like, shit is fucking wild. I mean, I the flat earth thing blows my mind, but not believing in the Holocaust? Right. Excuse Get me. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. So we love to think that conspiracy theories are like generally lighthearted. Obviously, the Holocaust is a good uh, example, but they're not harmless by any means. No. Um, Quote, AIDS denialism by the government of South Africa, motivated by conspiracy theories, caused an estimated 330,000 deaths from AIDS. QAnon and denialism about the 2020 United States presidential election results led to the 2021 storming of the United States Capitol, while belief in conspiracy theories about genetically modified foods led to the government of Zambia to reject food aid during a famine at a time when three million people in the country were suffering from hunger. Oh, my God. Conspiracy theories are a significant obstacle to improvements in public health, encouraging opposition to vaccination and water fluoridation, among others, and have been linked to outbreaks of vaccine prevention diseases. Other effects of conspiracy theories include reducing trust in scientific evidence, radicalization and ideological reinforcement, of extremist groups and negative consequences for the economy. What I think is so interesting is, I mean, now you can find anyone to reinforce any belief that you have. Like, if you want to Google conspiracy theories and find someone who believes the same thing as you, it's not going to be hard. And they might even have, like, a doctor in front of their name. Well, and who believes that they're actually, like, their core beliefs are a conspiracy theory. Right. Everyone's in denial. Exactly. Another thing about this, though, is that you can, I mean, technology has gotten to the point where it's almost difficult to believe anything that you see. Absolutely, which is exactly what I was, my next point. So thank you for bringing that up. You are so welcome. I read your notes. (laughs) Who falls victim to conspiracy theories and why? Conspiracy theories used to be saved for people who may not be considered like quote contributing members of society think of Dwayne Barry in the X-Files series and by series I mean that one episode that he was in (laughs) entitled Dwayne Barry but outcasts who are possibly you know suffering from mental health disorders or like doomsdayers who sure exactly people who are just generally shunned they're like that person is weird that's who our brains used to identify as people who believed in conspiracy theories yeah but now it's 2021 and people are getting their fucking information from facebook right which is so sad it's so sad because people aren't even like facebook is getting a little better about identifying (laughs) false information wow i can't i can't however they're so late Donald Trump was our president. (laughs) (laughs) They're so late to the game and they don't catch every, like it's impossible to catch everything. So you end up with people misquoting people or giving the wrong, you know, putting the wrong name on a quote or whatever to try and like convince 
people of different things. Yeah. And suddenly you have uh, Nelson Mandela said saying peace, love, dope. Like, <laughs> I mean, he might have in the privacy of his own home, <laughs> but like You're in right, public eye, he did not. Correct. <laughs> but the flow of misinformation causes fear unrest and it's hard for people around the world to find or have access to credible information which is why facebook should not be your primary source of information do we even have to tell that to people yes we do no we absolutely do um which just blows my mind npr is free and accessible thank you and typically really reliable typically yes i am such a believer in NPR, thank you for bringing that up. You're so welcome. I listen to NPR way too much. So conspiracy theories, which is, this is why I have to do multiple episodes, because there are so many layers, so many rabbit holes that we can go down. And right? I want to explore every single one. Every single one. So like once a quarter, I'm probably going to come back to this topic because we're going to... You know, there's such a strong overlap with psychology and history in terms of conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. We might have to do a joint episode <gasps> sometime. Oh my god, that would sound like that so that be much fun. so cool? It would be. We could be on the same page for once. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk beforehand. <gasps> Literally what? before we record, we're like, don't say anything to each other, hardly yep. ever, unless we're talking about the L word. Because um, <laughs> we don't want to give it away. But yeah, yeah, we don't no, text twenty four seven, anyways. Who are you? What's your name? Who are you? Who are you? Have we met? So today, what I want to focus on are some conspiracy theories, and we're going to keep it a little more lighthearted today. Good. And I'm going to save some more because the original research got me a little heated. Yeah, that's fair. Um, The confirmation bias is real. Oh, absolutely. Are we also going to have a chance at the end to share our favorite conspiracy theories? Sure. I think we should because I have one that I just really love. Yeah. All right. My first conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. is that Elvis is still alive. I love this one. (laughs) He lives in my cornfield, haven't you heard? Uh, I thought he lived in the Bermuda Triangle. Isn't that where all non-deceased celebrities go? Oh, I don't know. That's a good conspiracy theory right there, which we do not discuss today. The earliest known alleged sighting of Mr. Presley Mm -hmm. was at the Memphis International Airport where a man resembling Elvis Presley gave the name, quote, John Burroughs, which was the name that Elvis Presley used to give when booking hotel rooms. A series of alleged sightings took place in Kalamazoo, Michigan in the late 1980s. So these reports and sightings were kind of beefed up by the media at the time so like the weekly world news was covering it in california many people believe to have seen elvis presley in california's legoland amusement park hello i were still alive elvis that's where i'd be so this was like shortly after the park opened in 1999 it was later revealed that the they hired an Elvis impersonator. And people were like, it's Elvis. And you're like, get the fuck. Like, anybody who gets married in Vegas knows you get married by Elvis. For sure. People don't just assume that's Elvis Presley, right? I do. I assume do, Elvis like, has actually married hundreds of thousands of couples at this point. Yeah, he's like giving the up music. Elvis. Yeah. His new passion is just the love of others. That Amen. checks out for me. Mm-hmm. That tracks. Yeah. He wrote a lot of great love songs. This is my favorite. Jailhouse Rock. <laughs> Schoolhouse Rock. 
Elvis Presley was rumored to have appeared in a background scene, background airport scene in the 1990 film Home Alone. <gasps> have you heard about this? No. Okay. So it was alleged that a bearded man wearing a turtleneck and a sports jacket could be seen over the left shoulder of Catherine O'Hara, over like the shoulder of her character, uh-huh. while she was arguing with the airline employee. I and know exactly what scene you're exactly. talking about. We can yep. all picture it. Yep. Paranormal researcher Ben Rafford responded to this by saying, quote, why fake your death and then turn up as an extra on a popular movie? Which is super valid, great right? question. How could the cast and crew have failed to notice the presence of one of the most famous figures in the world? I mean, he was a brunette white man mm-hmm. with dark eyes. Right. Dark and eyes, blue lo- eyes. What color eyes did he have? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I think I think they were darker. I think so, too. Uh, how could anyone look like him? Right. He had the very specific hair swish that he had later became days. really popular. This paranormal researcher was challenged to find the actual actor who played this guy. Everybody's like, okay, so it's if it's not Elvis, who is, who is it? it? Yeah. And he's like, um, <laughs> it's not my job to like find this person. So... So the director of the movie, whose name is fucking Chris Columbus, can we talk about that for a second? He also <laughs> directed the Harry Potters, at Which least ones? two of them. Which two? Chris Columbus did one and two. One and two. Okay. Back when Harry Potter was super fun and not quite as dark as it got at the end. I mean, I love it. Like David Yates, it's great. But <laughs> so Chris, uh, Chris Columbus. So he, he was, like, smart enough to, like, shorten his name. He's yeah. like, listen, I've gotten this since kindergarten. I'm not the OG. Right. <laughs> Thank God. He'd be quartered and dead by now. Yeah, I've read Chris, the OG Christopher Columbus's diary. Oh, no. Don't do that. Oh, Don't no. do that to yourself. It's well, so bad. It's an important part of our history. True. To understand he was not a nice guy. Yeah, um, we need to rewrite every single textbook. Yeah, but this Chris Columbus, I have no opinions. Obviously, if he's into HP, maybe he's not terrible, but J.K. Rowling's also into HP, I hear, so she's also not... I don't know who that is. <laughs> I have she's dead to you. <laughs> no. I have completely separated her from Harry Potter. So Chris Columbus responded with, quote, if Elvis was on the set, I would have known. So after being challenged by Radford to locate the true identity of his extra, Kenny Biddle investigated and found the man to be Gary Richard Grot, who died of a heart attack in February 2016. Biddle located Grot's son named Roman, which is a badass name, um, who explained that his father was indeed the extra in the airport scene of Home Alone. And did indeed look like Elvis Presley. And he had known the director, Chris Columbus, personally. Because of this, he appeared in a number of Chris's movies as an extra, including Home Alone. Not Harry Potter. Not HP. So he was literally just some random guy. Cool. I have to say, I'm not convinced that Elvis is still alive. Elvis is dead. Yeah. What? Your conspiracy theory is not convincing me of anything. <laughs> No, I am debunking these. Oh, okay. Conspiracy Great. theories. None of them are true then. Personally. Well, this next one, you be the judge. We are now going to be discussing the Avril Lavigne body swap. Have you heard of this? I haven't. Girl. Oh, my God. Okay. 
So the theory behind this is that Avril Lavigne was really struggling with her fame at the beginning of her career. Uh huh. That she began using a body double <gasps> named Melissa, and at some point, this conspiracy theory goes that at some point the actual Avril Lavigne dies. Of what we don't know, how we don't know, why we don't know, but then. The record label comes and says, okay, so Avril Lavigne is doing super good in her career. Let's go ahead and switch Melissa in as a full-time double. Mm. Quote, proof has included Avril Lavigne's red carpet appearances and her photo shoots because Avril Lavigne, as we all know, why I gotta go and be so complicated, she prefers to wear, like, pants and, like, ties and... Yeah, you know, fall for those skater boys. Right. Except I said, see you later, boy. <laughs> um, kind of like the more, like, quote, f- masculine right. wardrobe. However, Which is why all the baby queers fell for her. 1,000%. Yeah. Um, how could you not? However, they're saying that Melissa preferred to wear dresses and skirts. So all of a sudden, in, like, the early 2000s, we see a switch from who we thought we knew as Avril Lavigne to who she kind of became her wardrobe started changing it's called character development people we're here for it in movies and in real life Tyrion, this one i believe in okay <laughs> i believe in bullshit there was also some really significant facial features that changed pre-2003 to post-2003 so some might attribute this to Botox. (laughs) Or, like, growing the fuck up. (laughs) Or plastic surgery. Sure. All of the above would be accepted. She's got the money for whatever the hell she wants to do. Yeah. Theories also believe that Melissa left clues in the songs. Mm -hmm. Such as in the song Slipped Away, which says, quote, the day. (laughs) (laughs) I can't see you over Dolly Parton. Uh, I've got a conspiracy theory for you. (laughs) Dolly Parton became a cat and is now living her best fucking life. That means Dolly Parton's dead. Don't you wish that on? No, it just means that she is now a she's an animagus. Okay, she's an animorph. Yep, and And is now living with you. (laughs) So the song goes: "Quote the day that you slipped away was a day I found I won't be the same." Or, <laughs> which could mean literally anything. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've written that in my diary. There was even a publicity shoot where uh, Avril Lavigne had, quote, Melissa, mm-hmm. the name Melissa, written on her hand. <gasps> Maybe she had a crush. Maybe she did. I mean, who writes their own name on their own hand? Nobody. Like, if it's Melissa, then why the fuck do you have the name Melissa written on your hand? You would have Avril written on your hand just in case you forgot what your name was. I know. You're like, She could have just been having an identity crisis. I mean, yeah. She, like, rushed to famous. New conspiracy theory. She said, see you later, boy. She's married to a woman named Melissa. And they just happen to look a lot alike. I hate to break this to you, but I'm, like, 99% sure she's married to the lead singer of Nickelback irrelevant um she Look could also have a twin sister named melissa <laughs> all of which is possible we just don't know we just don't know honey we just don't know so the next conspiracy theory is that there is life that exists outside of our planet 
and that it is known to the government and that it is not made known to the common person. I fully actually get behind this conspiracy theory. For sure. Um, didn't they release something over 2020? Like they released video or something? I know that there was going to be people storming Area 51 in September of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in 2020, they also released some footage of aliens. So I know about the people who were going to storm Area 51. And then I think they just all kind of like had like a Woodstock kind of Coachella experience. Yeah. And just like hung out and like didn't actually didn't storm actually Area storm 51. it because right. I think that they know that if they did, they would all be probably dead. Mm, probably not. They were mostly white people. I I'm sorry. That was a little too. <laughs> that was a little too all accurate. <laughs> But there have been reports of, like, dead cattle. That's, like, the biggest thing. Like, internationally, like, livestock tends to die in these, like, really crazy ways. Um, Sometimes these livestock are missing body parts. Some are found dead, like, really far away from their origins or their owners. Some are missing blood completely and have been drained of blood completely. We also talk about uh, crop circles. Yeah, yeah. All of those could um, be direct evidence of extraterrestrials sure Um, at least they're not blaming it on the witches anymore oh thank god we can live freely out of the broom closet out (laughs) 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 that's funny thank you but these the you know the dead cattle situation has been going on for 70 years only 70 yeah huh okay Mm mm-hmm Hmm. And this is most of the time interpreted to aliens and secret governmental slash military experiments. This information was written about in a book called, quote, Alien Harvest, Mm. published in 1989 by Linda Howe. So add that shit to your book club list. Will do. Many conspiracy theories have drawn inspiration from the writings of Zachariah Sichuan, who declared that the Anunnaki from the Sumerian mythology, who were actually a race of extraterrestrial beings who came to Earth from 500,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. In order to mine gold. Oh. Mm. The original uh, 49ers. (laughs) Right. Exactly. They, They knew, yeah, like gold is not that, gold exists nowhere else. So like, why would they? Why would they need it intergalactically? Right. So in 1994, a book was written called, quote, Humanity's Extraterrestrial Origins, E.T. Influences on Humankind's Biological and Cultural Evolution. Say that five times. (laughs) I have a friend whose grandmother firmly believes in aliens and has been interviewed by the History Channel for their TV show about aliens. Um, And she believes that, like, there are different races of alien and you're everyone's part something alien sure um that would make the most sense knowing what we know now about our own species sure thing so if we need an expert okay we might be able to get her call her up you got her on speed dial is she in your top five she uh her granddaughter is oh so this was written by arthur horn who proposed that the Anunnaki were a race of blood drinking shape shifting alien reptiles (laughs) 
so <laughs> my brain went to that scene from twilight where she's like your skin is so cold uh-huh. and blah 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 i know what you are I and know he what says say it <laughs> yeah vampire vampire <laughs> hang on little spider monkey that's fully what i expected you to <laughs> say though was vampire okay so shape-shifting reptiles shape shifting alien reptiles alien reptiles so, so not only just like the average the second cousin to the vampire though right for sure similar lineage and and to be fair reptiles are really fucking weird i know that you've been a reptile <laughs> owner but it, it takes a very specific personality type to own reptiles yeah you gotta just be weird as fuck historically uh-huh um but and that's because they're not an interactive species right they are very uh, like a lone ranger kind of situation. Yeah. So they're also just kind of misunderstood. Also, like their cousins are like crocodiles and alligators and shit who are then cousins of the dinosaur. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand the correlation. Sure. Intersectionality yeah. there. Yep. I took a rhetoric class when I was at, uh, in my undergrad program and we had to argue for an unlikely like cause of something Mm -hmm. and my argument was that uh president bush was actually a reptile in a human suit oh like in Um, uh rugrats yeah yep that was my my argument i had a video to prove it of him trying to open a Mm -hmm. door and he couldn't figure out how to open it (laughs) (laughs) what does he say fool me once uh, shame on you fool me twice see see, you can't you can't get fooled again That's all the evidence we needed. (laughs) That's all we need. (laughs) This theory was adapted and elaborated by the British conspiracy theorist. His name is David Icke, Mm -hmm. who maintained that the Bush family, (gasps) Margaret Thatcher, Bob Hope, and the British royal family, among others, are or were such creatures. You heard it here first, (laughs) folks. Or they, and his other option is like, they could have possibly been under the control of the alien reptiles. Uh, They got that vaccine that had the microchip that Uh allowed other species to control their bodies. I I had somebody today talk about the microchip. Unironically? Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So that's a really fucking weird concept and really funny that you brought that up. So you are essentially David Icke. Is that, should we just go ahead and call you that? From now on, if you would. I'm David. <laughs> Hi, Teamsters. I'm David Ike. <laughs> uh, um, so that that's like one of the very many alien conspiracy theories. I really enjoy alien conspiracy theories. I oh, think they're yeah. interesting. There's a lot of variations as well. Yeah. We will get to so many of them in my regular segment, hashtag conspiracy theories with Allison. Ooh, <laughs> love the name. My last point, which is super, super, very short, um, mm-hmm. because I asked Ray, I said, what's your favorite conspiracy theory? And like right away, he was like, probably people who believe the earth is flat. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. Because I wouldn't have thought of that originally, even though you brought that up almost immediately. Yeah. But members of the Flat Earth Society claim to believe that the earth is flat. Mm-hmm. Walking around on the planet's surface, it looks... And it feels flat. Not if you ride a bike. My God. <laughs> you feel those hills all day long. you live. If you live on a fucking mountain, does the earth seem flat? No. Correct. No. It does not. 
So they deem all evidence of the contrary, such as satellite photos of the Earth as a sphere, as a fucking circle, to be fabricated or orchestrated sure, by NASA and other governmental agencies. It comes back to also walking on the moon. Well, I think you've got to ask yourself, who does this benefit? Like, who does the idea that Americans faked walking on the moon, who does it benefit? We were in the space race with Russia. Yes. It obvious, like, I could, I believe that we walked on the moon. But I understand why some people might be skeptical, because we were in the space race and Russia probably should have won, according to where they were at the time. However, no one benefits from believing the Earth is flat. No, not like, a single person. I talked to a flat earther a while back, and I asked her that question, like, who does it benefit to believe that the Earth is flat? And her response was, well, it's about convincing people anything to start brainwashing them. I mean, sure. Like, could we accept the fact that, like, all of these things that we learn are false? Sure, Sure. we could, which I think is healthy in a certain way. Do not accept information that is spoon-fed to you. Have a fucking mind of your own. Question everything. Have we been to the moon to know for sure, looking back at Earth, that it is not flat? Right. No. But also, like, I believe in science. (laughs) Uh, I believe in Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, (laughs) I believe in a thing called love. (laughs) That's not the rhythm of my heart. (laughs) Um, the sounds we gonna make no please keep going no Mm-mm. please one more no okay so we'll be back when the sun goes down <laughs> leave all of this in <laughs> so was that your final conspiracy theory it was can i share one of my favorite conspiracy yes theories? please do because it's the most ridiculous thing ever oh my god tell me okay <laughs> that birds aren't real what <laughs> There's this whole group of people who believe that birds aren't real, that they're all robots, and they're all tracking you. Have you ever seen a baby pigeon, is their argument. No. <laughs> so the argument is that the government releases fake birds to the track The government you. releases big, like in big cities. Yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> I know, me too. That birds aren't real? That birds aren't real. Can I? No. It's a conspiracy theory. Google no. it. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that. Well, and also it's interesting to to see. And and, and it's also like history adjacent anyway. Mm -hmm. This is like philosophy 101. It's like, what is real? Is anything real? Is anything real? Like you look, you see a color. You might interpret the color different than me. Like we might all be walking around in a, in a, a world where we're seeing a, a, all different realities. So Neil deGrasse Tyson is on TikTok. Degrassi. Yes. Is on TikTok. And he recently made this TikTok about living in the matrix. Mm-hmm. And his theory is that we are either just before living in the matrix or we're the most recent rendition of the matrix. So the way that he thinks about it is Society develops and evolves to the point where they have enough artificial technology to create a simulation that's so good that people don't know it's a simulation. And then that society then builds and creates another simulation that then creates another simulation. But you don't know about these simulations before you because you haven't figured out, because you think you're the first. Sure. So he says, Hashtag we are. Inception. 
What? Hashtag Inception. Right. So he says we are either the first society who has not yet created another society, mm-hmm. or we are at the very end of the chain, and we just haven't figured out how to do it yet. Okay, so that would be a conspiracy theory. Correct. And Except th- it's coming from <clears throat> one of the most brilliant men in science. So that reminds me of that Apple created a artificial intelligence that, uh-huh. or Twitter, I'm like totally Twitter's going a thing. the brain. So a Twitter was basically created by an artificial intelligence and, and that artificial intelligence was a woman and ended up being like, and, and basically it was like going off of like things that existed on the internet and, uh-huh. and, and the information that it found and it, and it turned out to be a Holocaust denier and a fucking racist what? And, and sexist, um, artificial intelligence oh my and they had to end up shutting it down because people were like do you think the holocaust existed and they were like sorry no like the twitter yeah really twat yeah oh my god i've never heard that yeah Mm -hmm. i'm gonna have to do a deep dive later yeah so (laughs) and obviously that's because of like the information that's out there Mm -hmm. artiful 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 until (laughs) food you know knows to it's coded to learn right and so it takes you know what's around it and and so if you're existing on the internet and back to confirmation bias then ultimately who knows so let's let's wrap up let's talk intersectionality real quick let's i think one of the things that's so interesting about our two topics this week is the complexity Mm. so you have conspiracy theories which are people believing or not believing something that other people hold to be widely true Mm -hmm. stockholm syndrome is having to believe something that may or may not be true Mm. both are super complex super complex and i'm gonna (laughs) just pick up where you left off there please say something okay (laughs) (laughs) Okay. i don't fucking know i don't know how these things intersect I think that our perception shapes our reality. Oh, okay. Yes, I agree. So if we look at the way that perception shapes reality, then there's definitely intersection. People who are being held captive, who feel... And I think, too, Stockholm Syndrome can is, is a spectrum. It can be like, love, tolerance. Sure. Okay. Not necessarily like you're just absolutely in love. Because I think a lot of times it's kind of uh, like media focuses on like falling in love with your captor. Which is not necessarily true based on your examples. Right. Like, so, it's not Bell and the, Bi- Bell and the Buffalo. Bell and the Buffalo, not necessarily. Um, so I think that that's a spectrum. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that the way that we understand the world shapes our reality of the world. That's our whole intersectionality. <laughs> I mean, we could unpack that further, but I think to unpack yeah. that further, we would have to have another 45 minutes to an hour to really talk about what shaping your reality means based on what you choose to believe or what's been reinforced for you. Mm -hmm. Like if you believe in someone's humanity and they're reinforcing that with occasional kindness versus, you know, if you believe this thing and then it's being reinforced with fake news Mm -hmm. or um, with other media sources that are reinforcing your confirmation, your, your bias. And it's about your current experiences yeah. and, you know, what you're taking away from 
I mean, everybody's living moment by moment, day by day by day. Right. So your current experiences very much influence your just general ideology and thought, but also I'm sure are implanted in our future beliefs and, and the way that we express things. And understand the world. And understand the world. Yeah. All right. The end. That's our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, this episode was sponsored by Lauren Mays, our incredible Patreon. Incredible patron. Phenomenal human. Good suggestion. If you want to pick a topic for us or if you want to support us in general, you know, definitely head over to our Patreon page. We have our pasta re- recipe up for grabs, which is essentially gold. Um, We've both survived on it for about 10 years now. 10 years. We're doing fine. We're great. We're here. Hardly have scurvy. (laughs) We do have lots of vegetables in there. Um, Anyway, we... And it's vegan. It is. For anyone, all the vegans out there. All the vagues. You could probably add things to make it not vegan, but The recipe does call for um, things that are not vegan. You can sub sub things out. We kind of make it... Either way, whatever floats your boat we're not here to judge but yes you can definitely uh choose a topic for us if you are interested in that um head over to our patreon page you can also visit us on the our website which is podcastwithoutanaudience.com this is where we have our transcripts we think it's really important to have our podcast be accessible to all people. So, yeah. So, we um, provide our transcripts each week. They are great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to add. I should have said what you just said. Um, accessibility is important to us. We focus on providing our transcripts as up-to-date and accurate as possible. Mm-hmm. If you have other tips for accessibility or other ways that we could make our podcast more accessible to you, let us know. Like, send shoot us, us a DM. Allie loves to hear from you on Instagram. I check our website, and I don't check our website. I check our email <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanodd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening. <laughs>